from Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hest. Welcome to the latest episode of Trojans Wire, the podcast, which is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network. We continue on. We're now at episode nine of The Riley Files, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley, our 12-part summer podcast spectacular with Oklahoma insider Keegan Renault, taking us through the various dimensions of Lincoln Riley before his first year as head coach of the USC Trojans. So in this ninth episode, we ask, what does the composition of Lincoln Riley's USC staff say about his vision, his decision-making skills, and more? And Keegan, uh, as we start this episode, I I trace back to something you said in episode seven. And you said that, you know, Lincoln Riley had great stability on his Oklahoma staff, um, especially at the beginning of his tenure, you know, the handover from Bob Stoops, you know, the, the, the people who were on the Bob Stoops staff 2015, 2016, they were there in 2017. So a lot of continuity. And that brings up a very big national college football question. And that is, and this this relates to the man that you're now following at Oklahoma, Brent Venables. You know, he left Clemson finally uh, after a decade. And one of the things that Dabo Swinney has benefited from so much is that he had amazing staff continuity, amazing stability, that Venables was there for a decade. Tony Elliott was there for several years. Jeff Scott was there for several years before he took the South Florida job. Like that really had to help Dabo. And now we enter this 2022 season. And, you know, obviously Lincoln Riley is a is a top three story in the country. For me, one of the other top three stories, Keegan, is what's Dabo going to do without each of his two longtime coordinators at Clemson? He had to replace both, Venables being one of them. So it, it just invites the larger question of Dabo benefited from stability Lincoln Riley benefited from stability. How are each of these guys dealing with comparatively more coaching instability on their mm-hmm. staff? How do you think each of them are positioned? How equivalent are these situations at USC over in the West, Clemson uh, over in South Carolina? Well, as an outsider, I would say this. The USC job obviously feels still a little bit unstable I think expectations right early on here for Lincoln are obviously sky high and then you look out on the east coast I think Dabo's always he's given himself some time I don't think last year went obviously the way that they wanted it to go in the second year under D about you know second or first was it first or second year under DJU and Galele out there maybe it was the first year. well he had he, he played a game in 2020 when Trevor Lawrence got COVID uh, mm. you know, so any, any, any played right. part of a game against, uh, Boston college, but, uh, like, so he just had a cup of coffee in 2020, 2021 was his first full season for sure. And so, you know, I think the Clemson brought up, I mean, they didn't hire, I don't believe they made a single of the 10 assistant hires. I don't think they 
hired an outsider. I think they up, they just brought in people that have been there for forever at Clemson. So I think that Dabo is betting on stability, right, Matt? Like betting on the foundation that he's laid. Um, yeah. And I bet this staff probably gives this is probably he's probably got some time with the staff to figure it out. Um, eventually, right with Clemson, it's going to get interesting if they if they can't get over that hump or that offensive hump that they were at a year ago. I bet people start asking some questions. You know, Tony Elliott's now gone. He's no longer the fall guy for this. And so I, I think at Clemson, you do have a little bit more time. USC is certainly an interesting conversation, and I'm sure we're going to dive into more of that staff dynamic. But, Matt, I'll stick to something I told you very early on um, about and was about who Lincoln was bringing with them and who he was hiring is that Lincoln hasn't has only had to fire one guy. Right. Jerry Schmidt, I guess you can talk about Lincoln and Jerry Schmidt having issues and Jerry Schmidt going on going off to Texas A&M, Matt. But Lincoln's only had to get rid of one guy. Two, two, I guess, technically. Jay Bowler, I mentioned in the last episode. That's a fun conversation, but one probably not for the show. Uh, and then two was Mike Stoops. And so um, Lincoln's not had to have a ton. He hasn't dealt with a ton of turnover. And, you know, if things don't go right early on and it continues to be unstable, um, it based off conversations we've had on this series so far, Matt, um, I don't even know if that gives you confidence about kind of where things could potentially go if USC does remain a little bit unstable. Well, you know, in, in previous episodes, we talked about, you know, the, the, the dynamic with Bill Biedenbaugh and, you know, the fact that Biedenbaugh didn't come with Lincoln Riley to mm. USC. Um, so, you know, there are some it's a different set of puzzle pieces. And, you know, p- part of why I asked about, you know, stability and, and, and now the different composition of his coaching staff at USC is, you know, when we look at someone like Dabo, who's benefited so much from stability and continuity, you know, are we about to see slippage due to a lack of that stability due to the fact that, you know, changes are finally uh, rippling through the Clemson program at a level we haven't seen before. So like, is, is that, uh, was that a crutch that Dabo leaned on you know for his success and that so that's what i'm getting at with riley moving to usc with you know some some of his uh former staffers from oklahoma but not all of them and biedenbaugh being one very conspicuous example so like do you think that do you look at riley's usc staff and say hmm you know that 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 new piece is an unproven guy and that's really a a potential weak link in the chain uh, for the trojans I don't, it's way too early to kind of have that conversation, but I, you know, well, based on what you've, based on what you know about them, based on what you've seen about them in the past, like in terms of what you have to go on, if you like, if right. you, if you have yeah, a lean, no, for sure. Yeah. For do you sure. have a lean or a feel in any direction? It's for one, I think a lot of people at Oklahoma, just to speak on it, you know, one of the, Oklahoma fans have said a lot of things about the program under Lincoln Riley in the last couple of years. But the one thing that obviously I think it sticks out to you, Matt, I think it sticks out to me. I think it sticks out to anybody that's watched Oklahoma the last three years was offensive line play. They just weren't as nasty as that 2017 or 18 group. They weren't as physical. um, They weren't as mean. And this was the offensive line at Oklahoma, Matt, was the, the 19, 20, 21 groups I'm really talking about here, that was the first group that 
for Benny Wiley's that were kind of responsible, not for Jerry Schmidt and the old strength conditioning regime. That's the part of the USC football program that I am obviously the thing I'm most watching for. Um, it's kind of how that, how they're able to continue to develop big bodies and, and get these guys stronger and meaner um, than the teams that they're playing. And that's hard. Like that's not something that just happens overnight. Right. And so um, that's probably for me, I'm not going to go as far to say the defense. I, I, Alex Grinch had two good years at Oklahoma and one down year. And I know we're going to get into that. Um, But there's, I mean, there's certainly some, you know, guys who got jobs at USC, Matt, that were at Oklahoma that, I was a little bit shocked by, but Lincoln's, a, as I mentioned, has not fired a lot of people. He's very loyal. Uh, and so um, these are his guys. And, you know, we'll see if he's right. We'll see if OU fans are wrong and see if he's right. So you mentioned strength coach Benny Wiley. So that that brings up a, a, an obvious question is that when we talk about developing offensive line play, obviously something where USC fell way short under Clay Helton. But when we talk about uh, – developing a lead offensive line play at a top program. What's the interplay between the offensive line coach and the strength coach? Like how, how much are they mm. together in on the, 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 the regimen, you know, for the athletes under the guidance of the head coach, how does that normally work? Do you have a sense of how it normally works or, you know, is it, do you only have what you saw at OU uh, over the past five years? to go on what just what's your understanding of how that's generally supposed to work and and some of the things you saw between uh Biedenbaugh and Benny Wiley it's certainly an interesting dynamic I don't think the offensive line coach has much to say at all besides hey where are my guys at hey this is where I need them this is the direction I want to go and then after that I think it's all the strength conditioning coach's job to kind of put those ideas into into place and maybe even it's not to that point, Matt. Maybe the strength conditioning coach has a plan for you know offensive linemen and bigger body guys. And I think the context is always important, Matt. Um, we haven't seen a very good offensive line play in college football the last two years, right? Um, for the most part. And like even Alabama's offensive line last year wasn't its dominant self. Georgia's, I mean, Ohio State's offensive line is the reason why that they that CJ Stroud and that offense didn't get to go to a college football playoff game. And, and that defense as well, but I, this gets to a very deep conversation. I mean, big body guys had six months off normal nutrition in 2020, right? And that's a, that's not a good equilibrium for these guys. Like the specifically offensive and defensive linemen, like they, you have to stay on top of their nutrition, their diet, their training. And you had six months of unsupervised guidance with these guys, right? And so talking about the lockdown, and so they didn't have access to full training table in 2020. And so I've always thought, like, how did that impact development across the country? Because this isn't just an Oklahoma conversation. Yeah, that I mean, affected everybody. Yes. And and so, like, how much did that play into Oklahoma's offensive line, you know, not developing in the way? Um, how much of it was Wiley, right? Like there's there's a lot. And, you know, I think the most interesting thing is when Benny Wiley was hired at Oklahoma, if you remember Matt, Benny Wiley was a uh, strength conditioning coach at the University of Texas. Uh, that was Texas fans complaints was that the offensive line um, was no longer, you know, developing and being the physical presence they were in the mid 2000s. And so 
you know, it's kind of followed them at two places now, and we'll see if they, it follows them at a third, um, you know, but that is certainly most definitely the thing that I'm looking at, but you know, he gets a, he gets to restart right at USC, he gets a fresh start. And, you know, I know a lot of people in the industry are very intrigued by the kind of the analytical approach that us that Benny Wiley and his staff takes on. Um, it is a little bit different, right. Than that old, you know, it's not drill, the junction boys old. It's no longer the drill sergeants of the world. Right. Uh, Scott Cochran isn't a strength conditioning coach anymore. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how it plays all and how it all plays out. But I, I will say there's a, as I said, a lot of, there's a lot of things OU fans have said, Matt, over the last uh, six months. Uh, there's some of those things I think that they're being crazy about. Um, there's some things that I don't think they're being so crazy about. And certainly one of them is uh, offensive line development and how strength conditioning impacted that. All right. Let, hey, I mean, I'm going to take the bait here, Keegan, and, and you can pass if you want to. All right. You can say, no, I'm not going to touch this with a 10 and a half foot pole, but if Oklahoma fans had a power inverse power rankings for worst assistant coaches under Lincoln Riley, what would be like the top three or five? Ooh. That's and again, good, you can that's pass. A good, that's a good you question. Pass if you don't there was a lot of, there's a lot of angst about Roy Manning after he left, right? Because he was doing all the videos and the corners weren't developing and the one of the worst positions on the field um, they didn't like Alex Grinch at the end of his time for some reason. And I, I kind of get why. Um, in so, yeah, yeah. So, specifically, so, yeah. So. so, yeah. So that brings up really up. The, that brings up the follow up. Where were the fans in your where were Oklahoma fans right? Where were Oklahoma fans wrong in your estimation on various uh, assistants? I, I personally think that. Oklahoma had very few weak links on staff, right? Because I think you hear from o- OU fans, Matt, that they've upgraded everywhere. Um, I don't think that's true. Like Lincoln Riley's on the equation as an offensive coordinator. It's a it's a downgrade regardless. Um, obviously, a defensive coordinator, if you want to give Brent Venables the D.C. title, I, they probably upgraded there. Um, they're right there. I mean, they're right, though. I mean, the corners just did not develop the last two to three years. And and you look at Alex Grinch's position at safeties, like the guys that they had recruited, right? The, the, the You know, I think OU fans, they called all of Mike Stoops guys Mike's guys, right? And they gave him a lot of uh, – gave him a lot of hell over that. But Trey Norwood and Trey Brown and Kenneth Murray and all those guys seemed to develop and play well under Grinch then – it's the guys that they were recruiting, Matt, that, you know, the Joshua Edens and the Bryson Washingtons of the world that were these heralded recruits at the time, you know, they just were not seeing playing time early on in their careers at OU for whatever reason. Oklahoma had a bunch of experience in the back end of their secondary. I mean, I mentioned Trey Norwood, Pat Fields played for forever. You guys are going to get to see Pat Fields play at Stanford this year. I mean, they had a bunch of older guys whenever Alex Grinch took over. So it's not uncommon to see those young guys not play, Matt, but I mean – these guys were supposed to be better than what the guys that they had. And so I think a, the, a lot of the questions, the question marks for Oklahoma was one, the lack of development of the offensive line play. Um, and I don't think Bean Bow's, you know, I don't, there's some technical things that even I see that I don't think he's completely out of the woods on this one. Um, I don't think they're too crazy. I, I don't think they're being crazy about that one, Matt. Um, I think though, I think, 
that, yes, right. I think with OU fans, I don't think they're being too crazy that that was certainly a problem. Um, they're a little bit crazy for thinking they've upgraded an offensive coordinator and that quarterback has also been upgraded with Dylan Gabriel because he has the same production. Um, and they may be right about corner play and they may be right about safety play. I don't know about that, but yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of things that have been said, um, and, you know, recruiting, you know, has plateaued all this stuff. It's, uh, it's been a fun last six months. It's been a fun ride to kind of sit back and watch people lose their minds. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get to Alex Grinch in, in a bit. But before that, I want to circle back to something you said in episode one of this series. And that was that in 2015, when Lincoln Riley came to OU as offensive coordinator under Bob Stoops, the offense was a little bit more in the vein of the air raid. It wasn't a classic air raid, but it was more air raid like. Um so when we, when we consider that USC under Clay Helton and Graham Harrell ran the air raid, like, is there, is there anything to, to be found there? And in terms of, uh, you know, when, when we talk about strength and conditioning, what Benny Wiley's trying to do, like, does he have to uh, look at this USC roster and say, well, I have to take these guys who were coached under an air raid system last year and I have to bring them along in a different way or, is he's just thinking, I have my plan, I have my system, this is how we're going to coach him up, this is how we're going to do strength training. Is there anything there that we should be uh, talking about that we haven't been? It's Yeah, I think it's certainly worth a conversation. I mean, you look at the way that roster is constructed for this upcoming season, and Matt, I mentioned um, either on this episode or prior one, today is the day I just got done studying USC this offseason. I mean, that offense, and I obviously you're they're relying upon two newcomers, um, one specifically, and then you have a guy like Justin Deditch. I want to say, hopefully, I said his name right, um, likely inserting a right guard. Um, that offense is going to be fine. Um, will they throw it a ton? I think they're about to throw it a ton. Uh, and that 2015 offense, whenever I mentioned those like air raidy. It, there was the screen game, the running back screen game, the, you know, a ton of mesh concepts, Matt. I mean, ton of stuff, you know, quick, easy out, you know, out throws for Baker Mayfield. I mean, it was, it was not nearly as complex as the 2016 and 2017 offense. It also helps when you've got a guy named uh, Joe Mixon and, and another guy named Simone J. P. Ryan that run the football. Um, and as I mentioned on that, on that, during that segment um, that, you know, they ran the football in 2015 as well as anybody. And so I don't envision that being the case. I expect them to throw the football a ton. Um, the air raid part of what Graham Harrell's system, Matt, you know, I think that they, they didn't have answers for when teams brought a tons of pressure, like in third and eight. And when you don't leave safety valves for Keaton Slovis um, behind an offensive line that was cratering in front of him, like there's going to be problems and there's going to be problems when you're not running, you're not calling plays that are getting, you know, to the first down marker on key situations. I mean, there's a lot um, in terms of Graham Harrell at, at West USC that I really like. Um, and there's also other things that I don't like, um, but I would imagine you're going to see something very slim, similar to the 2016 offense that Oklahoma had, which ended up becoming the top offense in college football in 2016. Uh, where you have a guy like D.D. Westbrook, um, and they really just attack, used him vertically. And they've got a guy like Jordan Addison, uh, who reminds me a lot of what Sterling Shepard was like in college, 
Um, and then you've got a guy like uh, Mario Williams who can play that D.D. Westbrook role. I mean, you have that 2015 kind of personnel, Matt, besides the running backs. Um, and so I would imagine you're going to see a little bit of it. Um, but I think this is going to be more, more akin to what you saw in 16 and 17. One year with only D.D. Westbrook, 17 had C.D. Lamb and um, Marquise Brown at the end of it. And they were very, very innovative and very, very good. And I, I expect the offense at USC to be um, very tough to slow down here in 22. All right. Final question for this episode, Alex Grinch, you know, and, and we, we've talked about him at, at, at points along the way in previous episodes of this series. But, you know, let, let's just more f- uh, directly tackle the fact that, you know, Riley did bring him along from Oklahoma. He did think that loyalty was uh, something to be valued here instead of going for a different candidate. Uh, you know, what does that say about Lincoln Riley? And, and what do you think uh, this means for Alex Grinch in terms of, you know, where his career is headed and, and, and the things that he needs to prove at USC? It's one of those things, Matt, when I ask myself after the 21 season, has Alex Grinch earned the job at USC, right? Like, has he, has he proven himself to be, to warrant a, not just a being the DC at Oklahoma, Matt, but being the DC at another power five blue blood program. It's something that I kind of have a struggle and fight with, right? Like I like Alex Grinch. I got to cover him for two seasons, really like dealing with them, very candid, genuine, honest, uh, always tells it how it is. Um, his defense wasn't very good in 21, Matt. Um, it's the, they completely plummeted. There was some schematic things within their defense that teams really attacked. If you guys go to the uh, West Virginia game, there's a certain concept that West Virginia always was going to in key downs and they were always finding success. And it was very simple Kansas State and Baylor, they couldn't slow down the QB run game, specifically any split zone read. I mean, there's a a lot of red flags in the 2021 Oklahoma defense. And it wasn't just, it wasn't because they weren't talented. It wasn't because they weren't playing hard, Matt. It wasn't because they weren't physical by any means. Uh, Their linebackers got worse. Um, the, The rotations on defense, Matt. I mean, there'd be plays and big moments in big games where, you know, the best 11 wasn't on the field because they're rotating so much. Right. And so there's questions that I have surrounding what that looks like at USC, where there's one thing that does benefit Grinch is that he's always taken, taken, you know, under talented defenses or less talented defenses um, and, and been really good with them. Um, You know, I don't know if he gets that crutch at USC and, I think USC fans were ready to run Todd Orlando and they should have been out of the building a year ago or even prior to that. Uh, It's not very dissimilar to what Alex Grinch is coming with to USC in 22. So that's the piece of this, Matt. And really, I think the best way to end up this episode is that, you know, if, if crap hits the fan in Southern California, does Lincoln have it in him to move on from, some of the people that he has been the most loyal to over the last couple of years. And, and, and when does that happen? When does that moment of truth occur? You know, it did, will he feel that pressure earlier or, or later and how, how much rope will, does, will he personally feel on the job? That's a very, that's a very compelling question. So 
That's episode nine, folks. We have three episodes left in our 12-part series, The Riley Files. A deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley with our featured guest, Oklahoma insider Keegan Renault. In our next episode, episode 10, we look at uh, the competition uh, it, it, facing USC, and we look at you know coaches and uh, how how they might beat USC, and like what other coaches nationally, uh, you know, if you want to beat USC, what kind of coach should you have if you want to beat Lincoln Riley in a chess match? That's coming up next in episode ten of the Riley Files. Thanks for listening to episode nine here at Trojan Wire. Mm-hmm.